If you have your Bibles, if you could open them up to 1 Peter chapter 4, appreciate that. We're going to continue in our series, uh, I Am Gifted. And this morning as we're, we're talking here, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this series so far. And we're kind of looking at questions and things that maybe we didn't exactly know, or maybe you knew and it's just reaffirmed them in your heart. The New England, New England Patriots football team drafted a player in the fourth round many, many years ago, a man by the name of Aaron Hernandez. You maybe have heard his name. Aaron Hernandez was physically gifted, was a tremendous athlete. He came into the league and he, he did very, very well. And uh, it came a time to resign his contract and they gave him a $40 million contract. Not many fourth round picks get a $40 million contract. That's extremely a lot of money. He signed the contract and he was experiencing lots of success in the National Football League. But all the money and all the success couldn't keep him from some bad behavior. And he had did some wrong things. He was arrested and finally he was convicted and he was put in prison. And then the story ended when Aaron Hernandez took his life at the age of 27 years old. And that story is the epitome of what a waste. So much talent. The man had so much talent, but what a waste. And that could kind of be characterized. Those words, what a waste, could be used of stories that are less significant. And maybe those words of what a waste could be used of some Christians who are so gifted. They have so many gifts, but they don't use them to glorify God. They don't use them to build up the body of Christ. We're in our series, I didn't know, in the message today, that I didn't know that I am gifted, that I am gifted. And maybe you hear that and you're here this morning. That's the first time you ever heard that, that I am gifted. You never heard that before. But my hunch is that most of you in this room, probably all of you in this room have heard that before, that I am gifted, either from me or some other pastor or somebody else teaching you. You've heard that and you said that I am gifted, but maybe you're here and you don't believe it. You say, I don't believe that I'm gifted. That when, I, when there was a line to pass out the gifts, I got in line, they all ran out, right? didn't have any gifts for me, and I got in the line, and there was none. And now I don't have anything to give to God. I don't have anything to build up the body of Christ. I don't have it. I just don't have it. That's not there. And so may I encourage you to open your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 4. In order to get the full impact of this message, we're going to be focusing on verses 10 and 11, but we have to go back to verse 7, because I believe verse 7 gives us the purpose of all the statements and commands that will follow that. Because in verse 7, everybody have it? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. You find it? Verse 7, the first sentence there said, the end of all things is near. In other words, we are living in the last times. And you say, wait a minute. Wasn't this written 2,000 years ago? How could they be saying that they're living in the last time 2,000 years ago? Well, we always have to be living with the sense that we're living in the last times. We're living in the end times. We're living in the last days. We always have to be living in there. And when this was written 2,000 years earlier, we were 2,000 years closer today than when it was written, aren't we? We're closer today. We know that. If they thought it was close, we're really close now. Therefore, he's saying, in the light of this closeness of the end times, in the light of understanding that we're living in the last days, these are the things he said you should be doing. These are the things that are most important. These are the things that we should be focusing on. And then he gives them to us in verses 7 through 11. So let's read them. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, because we're living in the end times, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let me just stop there. Hospitality is just not opening up our homes and, and making a good dessert, right? 
But a good dessert's always good, right? I don't want to knock down a good dessert. It's always good. And now still, some of you make wonderful desserts, and it's always good to have them. But the true definition of hospitality from the original language is showing compassion to strangers. Showing compassion to strangers. And we have an opportunity to do that every week we come here at Crossroads, don't we? Every week, every Sunday morning to come here, we have an opportunity to show compassion to people we don't know very well. Or maybe to strangers, people that come here for the first time that are visitors. We have an opportunity to go to them and give them the fellowship of the Lord, to greet them with a smile and have conversation with them and talk with them and make friends with them. We have that opportunity to do that. Or to invite people to our, to our home for a Bible study. Maybe we don't know we're strangers or make friends with them. We have opportunity to do that. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, let's go on and read verse 10 and 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others at faithfully ministering God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. If you have your outline, if you don't, there's one right out there, the center doors at the ministry counter. Three things regarding your gifts I want to give you this morning. Three quick things. First one is each one of you have been gifted. Each one of you have been gifted. Peter talks about this here in his letter. The Apostle Paul talks about it in three different occasions. In Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. But one thing that him and Paul and Peter have in common, they both emphasize that every one of us has been given a gift. That includes you. You have been given a gift. And maybe you say, no, I haven't, but you have. The scriptures say that you have been given a gift. But what does that gift look like? What does it look like, the gift we've been given? The word that we have gift comes from the word charisma. Comes from that word. And it just means we have been graced. We've been given a gift from God is what it says. And you may have more than one gift. You have at least one gift, but maybe God's gifted you in many, many places, given you many gifts. And and, and if we have gifts, when did you receive your gift? When did you get your gift? Well, the gift came by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gave us the gift at the time of salvation. At the time of salvation, you were given the gift of salvation, right? Amen? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been given the gift of salvation. Amen, right? We have that gift. But in addition to that gift, the Holy Spirit has given us other gifts. And that's what he's talking about. Other gifts that would benefit the body, be beneficial to the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, to bring glory to God as we use our gifts. Then we ask, what does the gift look like? Uh, What does it look like? Uh, I think oftentimes that the gifts that we have that God uses are are connected to our natural abilities. Uh, By the way, where does our natural abilities come from? They come from God, right? Amen. Uh, The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and and the world and all who live in it. So none of us could ever say that I'm a self-made man or a self-made woman, right? Nobody could ever say that. Everything we have comes from God. The very air that we breathe. Just to take that next breath and get out of the bed this morning, that comes from God. He gives us the strength to do that. Solomon talks about that actually in Psalm 127. He talks about that. But I think there are times that God will take our natural abilities... And at the time of salvation, the Holy Spirit will enhance them for spiritual purposes so that we can use those natural abilities that we have. That natural ability that you have may be through administration, that uh, some people are wired that way. When you walk into a room and say, man, I can change this. This is disorganized. I can organize this. I can get this organized, and I can do that. Let me do this. I've got to do this because I can't stand that it's so disorganized. And you can do that. You love organizing things, and you're kind of wired that way. You to think the Holy Spirit 
can use that in the body of Christ? You think he can enhance that for spiritual purposes to build up the body? Absolutely he can, right? He can do that. He can use that. And some of you maybe come into a group and you say, boy, uh, you're wired to develop and kind of train people. And you have that ability to come in. So matter we really want to come in and develop and train people. Do you think the Holy Spirit could use that for spiritual purposes, for people to do that? Some of you people maybe be uh, gifted with graphic arts. And, and you really know how to graphic, know how to use the computer, and you're great at that. You think God can take that and use that for spiritual purposes? You think some of you know technology, and you're really good in IT with computers. You think God can enhance that for spiritual purposes to build up the body of Christ? Some of you have been, maybe have natural abilities with music, either playing instruments or singing. Do you think the Holy Spirit can take that? natural ability and enhance it for spiritual purposes to bring glory to God and, and singing and all those kind of things. You think God can do that? Absolutely. He does that all the time. I remember when I was serving in a church many, many years ago, and the pastor wanted to see me. He was pretty serious. And he wasn't a real serious guy, but he wanted to see me. And I thought, man, what did I do now? Did I say something I shouldn't have said or, or whatever? And when I met with him, uh, we sat down, and he started talking. He says, I see God working in your life, and I, I see God calling you to full-time ministry. And my mind just kind of left right then. It wasn't paying attention to what he was saying, because I'm sitting there, and he's talking, and I kind of wanted to look over my head. Is there somebody else in this room that he's talking to? Because he can't be talking to me about full-time ministry. And, he, and he's talking to me, and he says, I see that you really have a heart for discipleship and evangelism, and I really think God is calling you to ministry. So what I want you to do, Doug, I want you to go home in the next days and in a couple of weeks. I really want you to pray about that and pray with your wife, Sheila, and you guys come back to me and, and tell me what God has on your heart. So I remember going home, and I shared this with my wife, Sheila, that the pastor believes I've been called in ministry, and he actually offered me a position at the church. And she laughed because she thought I was joking. She didn't believe it. She, she couldn't believe it, that he would ask that. See, I'd been leading some small groups at the church, and I'd been leading a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship programs and been involved with that. And I did some small training with those disciplers and in small groups, but I was terrified to get up in front of a large crowd. I was terrified. I hated that. When I used to have to give speeches in high school, I used to say I was six, I wouldn't have to go to school to miss those speeches because I hated it. I was terrified. And I can't believe sometimes that God put me here today because when I think when I was younger, here I am. But I remember praying about that, what that pastor said to me, and Sheila and I prayed about it. And after some days and weeks and months, I enrolled in Moody Bible Institute, and then that was on. I went on and was a part of that church and stuff. But my point is that we've all been given gifts. We all have at the time of salvation. And some of those gifts that God gives us is, is those natural abilities that he hands us for spiritual purposes for the glory of God. So we can use those to build up the body of Christ. And sometimes at the time of salvation, God gives us new gifts, gifts that we didn't have, talents we didn't have. When we get that gift, it doesn't mean that it's polished. It means that it has to be developed by using it and using the gift and to develop to what God wants it to be. And that's why some people do go to, to Bible college and seminary and stuff. But we have to polish our gifts is what it means. In verse 11, if I can jump ahead to verse 11, Peter divides those gifts into two categories. The first category is the speaking gifts he talks about. And that would include what I'm doing this morning. I'm teaching and kind of preaching. But some of you have led small groups. Some of you lead adult Bible studies. Some of you lead the teens or, or you lead uh, the children's ministry. That would include that teaching and preaching which God has given you. That, uh, that also, I believe, would include encouraging, witnessing, evangelism. Those are some of the speaking gifts that, that we see here. 
Then he uses a second category, and he calls it the serving gifts. The serving gifts are broad and wide. It includes any type of service to build up the body of Christ. And that would be faith and mercy and hospitality. Many other gifts would fit in there. All these gifts. The Apostle Paul gives us a list that is more robust and fuller in describing these spiritual gifts. And some count 17 gifts, some count 19 gifts. I personally believe that while those gifts are listed that the Apostle Paul gives, God gives a lot of different gifts. I don't believe that's all the gifts there are. Uh, whether it's enhancing of the natural abilities we have, but God gives many different gifts as the church has grown and changed throughout the years. And God gives us gift to meet the needs of those changes, to minister one another, to build up the body of Christ, and to glorify God. Because it has changed what it was 2,000 years ago, right? The church has changed. And God gives us different gifts to adapt to those changes. The question is, the big question is, what is your gift? What is your gift? That's the question. You have one. You know that, right? You have, a, you have a gift. Every one of you in this room has at least one gift, probably more, but you have at least one. Back in the 70s, really into the 80s, there was an emphasis on spiritual gifts, so there's a lot of books written on spiritual gifts. And a lot of, the, a lot of them included the word discover your spiritual gifts. And I really don't like that word discover because it gave the connotation that uh, God gave the gift, but he played a game with the gift. He kind of hit it. And you had to find it. And that kind of distorts my view of God who he is. I believe God gave us all gifts. I believe he gave us gifts. But we don't have to discover them like a hide-and-seek game. God's not, I've hit it. Now you go find it, hide-and-seek. I believe that rather we have to identify the gifts that God has given us, right? We have to identify what God has given us. And, and so we ask the question, what do you like to do? What do you really like to do? And maybe you're one of the people that say, boy, I really like writing encouraging notes and letters to other people. Or I like to meet out there in the, in the lobby, and when people come in, I just want to encourage them, just to put a smile on their face. Or maybe you say, I like teaching children or the teens or adults. And what is it that you like to do? Where people might say about you, say, boy, you're really good at that. You're such a blessing in what you do. What is it? What do you do at your place, at your job, that you're so gifted at, that you're so good at? Can that be used for kingdom purposes? Can that be used by God to enhance it spiritually, for the glory of God and his kingdom. Can that be used? What is your gift? That's what matters. What are you good at? What do you really enjoy doing? Because that's where probably God has gifted you, what you really enjoy get doing. So what is the gift that God has given you? Identify that gift and use it. Use that gift for God's glory. So the question I want to think, what is your gift? And probably all of you can name at least one gift that you have. You know you have that gift, but you might be shy of sharing it because if I say it, the pastor's going to come at me and say, you've got to use it, right? But we all have at least one gift. The second uh, thing regarding gifts, acknowledge you have been gifted to serve. We've been given a gift, and acknowledge you've been gifted to serve. Notice verse 10 gives us the purpose of these gifts. It says, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, the gifts that we've been given are not for our own benefit, is what it's saying. They're not for your benefit. God didn't give you the gifts for your own benefit. It was for the benefit of others why he gave you those gifts. I've known people who have excellent minds, and their minds work faster than others. I know people who have been so, so, so gifted, but those people are usually divided in two categories. One of the categories, they use that quick mind and those gifts for their own benefit. 
The other category is they use them for kingdom purposes. There's a huge difference, right? And that's what the point he is making here. He says, uh, use your gift not for your own glory, not for your own advancement, but for the benefit of others, for the glory of God. Use your gift to benefit others, to build up the body of Christ for others. He said, not for yourself, not for your own advancement, not for your own glory, but for God's glory. He uses the word here, administering, fully administering God's grace in his various forms. In other words, what he's saying here, God's grace comes to each one of us. And you can read more about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he uses kind of the analogy of the body. And he says, we're all in this together. And, and like my hand can't say to my arm, I don't need it. My eye can't say to my feet, I don't need them. We all need each other, right? But this gracious God has put us together to serve one another with these gifts that we have. Let me explain it like this. We have people that have needs. They have spiritual needs. They have physical needs. They have emotional needs. They have financial needs. They have health needs. And how are those needs going to be met? How are they going to be met? Because we have a God who has great resources, right? A God who is full of grace and mercy and love. And God wants to meet those needs of those people. He does. He wants to meet people's needs. And God has oftentimes chosen to use channels to meet those needs. And God's grace flows through those channels. But those channels are people that God has gifted, and they use those gifts to meet the needs. You understand what I'm saying? God doesn't just do it by just doing it. God shows us to use the channels he has provided, and those channels are you and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that God has gifted us, that he might use us through those channels of his grace, that we might bless others and meet the needs of other people, right? Or maybe look at it another way. There are people within this body. You all have gifts that God has given. As I said, at least one gift, probably more. And we're to use these gifts to teach each other, to encourage one another, uh, uh, kind of come behind and support one another. And we use our gifts. We provide mercy, provide grace, help, service. And while we're all the time in this body, as each one is using their gift, we're building up the body of Christ. And we're growing together. And that's absolutely necessary. It's all for the glory of God. They were all using our gifts to build up the body. And that's the way Crossroads works. That's the way a church works. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're all come together and saying, what can I give? How can I use my gift to benefit someone else? That God has gifted me, and now I use it. And right now, we need it in our children's ministry. We need it at cafe. We need it in our ushering greeter. And there's other places we're going to be needed. But say, boy, I could sign up for those because God has gifted me to serve in that capacity. And we need you to use that gift. God didn't give you the gift not to use it. He used, wanted you to get, use that gift to build up the body. So many times, well, I use my gift at work, but you're supposed to build up the body of Christ. And he's talking about using the local church that he wants us to serve. Serve outside, but also in your local church. When he uses the word faithfully administering, it can be translated good stewards. A steward is not an owner. The word comes from household servant is what he's saying. And someone who's in charge of the house, but they don't own the household. They don't own it, but they're in manage the household. And they take, every, take care of everything. To distribute the master's wealth according to the master's will and his direction. That's the word. That's the word he's using here. So we as stewards have to manage the household in which God has given us and the people around us. To do that, we need God's grace, right? We need God's grace to accomplish that. And not only have we been given gifts, here's the thing that God says. The fact that a manner, we are gifts. We are gifts. 
that, that God says, a gracious gift that you guys, he has put in my life, that your gift to me and your gift to each other is what the Bible says. Your gift, just you being here is a gift. Knowing Jesus Christ, your Savior, God says, I've given you a gift. And it's these people, they're a gift to each other. Not only has he given us a gift, but he's given us additional gifts that we might bless the body of Christ, that we might be the best that we can be as a group together, to bring out the best in each one of us so that we can function the way God wants us to, to accomplish all that he wants us to do in this local body. I firmly believe that any local church has the gifts that God wants them to have right then and there to accomplish what he wants to take that next step. And he'll provide as we need. So we have what we need. You look around, oh, we, maybe not a lot of people. We have what we need. If everyone would use their gifts, and everyone would be here using their gifts. That's what he's talking about. There's a seriousness, and I have to share this with you. And if I could share it, it comes from, if I could take you back to Matthew 25, and it's very important. In Matthew 25, Jesus told the parable. And, and the, the parable, he said, listen, the master is going away, and he's going to leave money. And he uses the word talents to describe that. He said he's going away and he's giving out talents. See, one he gave five talents to, another he gave two talents to, another he gave one talent to. And the master's going to come back. You don't know when the master's coming back, but the master's going to come back, and that's going to be a big, big, big day because that's accounting day, that you're going to have to give an account of what you did with the talents that he gave you. And that's a sobering thought in Matthew 25. He also says here in 2 Corinthians 5.10, let me read this to you. And please listen to this because it's very important. It says, For you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, well, this is what this, this means. That everyone who knows Jesus Christ is your Savior, you say, boy, I know Christ is my Savior. Amen, right? But every one of us know Jesus Christ is our Savior, that one day we're going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the Bema seat of Christ, the Bema seat. We're going to have to appear before him, not give an accounting of our sins, because that was taken uh, a place at the cross. It was taken care of at the cross, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. But we're going to have to give an account of what did I do with the talents and the gifts and the resources and the finances, God, that you gave me. What did I do with them since I've been in the body of Christ? What do I have to offer you back? What have I done with them? That's what it's talking about in that verse. And that's what Matthew 25 was talking about. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 is talking about. That I, I'm going to have to appear before the judgment seat. I myself. And if you know Jesus, so are you. And stand before them and say, Doug, what did you do with that gift? Doug, what did you do with that talent that I gave you? And I have to give an account for mine. And you have to give an account for yours. That means in this life, we have to take it seriously, very seriously. When somebody comes and asks me to use my gift, use my talent, my natural ability, which God has given me, I can't quickly say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to use my gift because that gift is not mine. That's not my talent. That's not my gift. That's not my natural ability. I, I'm just a steward of that gift, right? Who gave me the gift? It's God's gift. I have to say and say, God, do you want me to use that gift? Do you want me to use that talent? Do you want me to use that natural ability here because you gave it to me? Not to hold to myself, not to benefit myself, but for your glory and to benefit, benefit others. So when you're asked to serve, you can't just say, no, I'm not going to do that and write it off. You don't have the privilege to do that. You have to present it to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I know you want me to serve someplace, and maybe right now I'm not. And I need, need to use my gift. We all need to use our gifts is what he's saying. 
because we all have to give an account. And I'm sharing with this, with this, with this to you because I love you. The question is, what is your gift? Are you using it to build up the body of Christ? Are you using it here at Crossroads? Are you using your gifts? That's what he's asking. We all have to give an account. I'd like to show a picture up here of an aqueduct right here. This is an aqueduct you see right here. Um, a Spanish philosopher uh, once told the story of an aqueduct that took water from the top of a mountain to a hungry, thirsty city of Sokovia to bring food at the base of the mountain. And this aqueduct, they say, has 167 arches that go across here, all these arches. The water runs at the top of this aqueduct. And they have all these arches to support the water. They say there's an architectural wonder this happening here, that it would flow for that top, and it was amazing that it provided for the people. And they used this for 1,800 years. Water came from the top of the mountain and flowed down to the city because it was flat here, so they had to bring it across. And they used that for 1,800 years. And finally, at the 1,800 years, the people started to say, listen, this thing's liable to crumble one day. We need to do something about it. So we need to stop the water, and we need to reroute it into some metal piping and bring it down to the city. So that's what they did. They decided we're going to reroute it and not let the water flow anymore through here. Well, after they did that, after 1,800 years of service, this worked for 1,800 years, this aqueduct did. A very short time after they stopped it and the aqueduct was idle, it began to disintegrate right in front of their eyes. Those dry clay bricks no longer had the water flowing through it and began to disintegrate and fall apart. In a very short time in this idleness, began to disintegrate because it was no longer being used for what is intended purpose. It was no longer being used for what it was built for, is to bring water down to the people. So it was just sitting there. And it was disintegrating. Listen, God has made us, and he's gifted each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, to build and serve the body of Christ and to, for the glory of God. And he's given us gifts, not to be idle with them, not to be idle with them, but using our gifts and serving to develop us into the people God intended us to be. See, without that, just using our gifts, we're never going to develop and be the person God wants us to be. When we, when we sit idly by and we don't use our gifts, it's just wasted gifts, just wasted talent, right? Just wasted, just like this aqueduct now is just wasted, just to look at it. Yeah, it's a wonder there, architectural wonder, but look, it's just wasted. It's not being used for what it was built for. When God says, I created you, and I made you, and I saved you by the grace of God, and I've given you gifts by the grace of God. We're not using them. It's just wasted gifts, just wasted talent, just wasted abilities. One last thought in verse 11. The third thing regarding gifts, you need to serve in your area of gifting is what it says. In verse 11, he says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. For those like myself who speak, is what it's talking, talking about here, always have to speak in the terms of the very words of God. Always have to speak, is this true to God's word? Is this true to his word? And I have to, have to speak that way. Uh, which presupposes that anyone who speaks for God knows the word of God, right? They know the word of God. That it presupposes that. I never have an option on Sunday morning to come up here and say, Brad, I'm going to share my political views with you. Nor do I have the option to come up here and share my, my views about the government. Nor do I have the option to share my views about any other particular issue that I may have personally that, I, that I'm thinking about. Listen, you didn't get out of bed to come and hear my views, did you? My opinion, right? 
At least I hope you didn't. If you did, you're wasting your time because my opinion isn't better than your opinion. You got out of bed to hear the voice of God. You got out of bed this morning to hear the truth from God's word. And what does God say about that word? Amen? That's why we come. To hear what God has to say from the truth of his word. Not what Doug has to say. What I have to say is not important. You don't need, don't waste your time. It's what God says is important. And we come here to hear the truth from his word, how it applies to our lives and the issues around us. That's what we hear. So I have to speak the very words of God when I'm speaking the truth. It says, I have to speak the words according to the word of God. And that's what it's saying. Those who have the speaking gifts, those who serve, they say, must do it with the strength of God. You ever get tired of serving? Sometimes we get very tired of serving. The apostle, the apostle Paul talks about them in Colossian believers. He says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, he says, we proclaim, proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Then he says this, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. The word struggling can be translated, literally translated, agonizing. That he's saying this is hard work. It's agonizing to bring people to be more like Christ. He talks about in Galatians 4.19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed to you. Serving is hard work. It's hard. And the Bible's telling it's hard, but we don't give up. Therefore, we keep going, but we do it with God's strength is what he's saying. We do it with the strength of God, not our own strength. There have been many times being a pastor and a church leader that I have to tell you that I've been over my head, that I don't have the strength. Sometimes, man, what am I going to do, God? I don't know what to do. I'm kind of tired, and it's over my head. And there's not a course that you take in Bible college or seminary that, that prepares you for the challenges of ministry. It doesn't. There's not a course like that. And in those moments when I feel like I'm over my head and I don't have the strength, I feel the presence of God over me, and it comes over me, and God does it in and through me because I couldn't. I didn't have the strength, and I know I didn't do it. I know God gets all the glory, and I think God allows us, and he allows you in those situations. So we come, and like in verse 11, so he gets all the praise and the glory for what's happening in our lives. And that's what God says. I want you to serve when I'm so tired and say, God, I can't do this. And God says, I know. You need my strength. You need my power to accomplish what I want to do in and through your life. And we come and say, God, I can't do it and throw our hands up. And God says, but I can. Watch what I'm going to do in and through you. Now that you surrender to me, you're going to rely on my strength and power and wisdom. And God does incredible things through us. Next, I have a picture of three bodies of water up on the screen I want to show you. And those three bodies of water are the land of Israel. Hopefully you can see that. I'll kind of point them out. Three bodies of water are very distinct. The first one is in the Sea of Galilee. That's it right there. The Sea of Galilee is right there. The Sea of, of Galilee is, is uh, you hear the stories of the Gospels with Jesus was fishing, where the storm came up on the Sea of Galilee, and, and he quieted the storm. That all happened at the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee kind of be, uh, the word sea can kind of lead us to thinking about the Sea of Galilee in a wrong direction. Because we look at the sea, and we have the Great Lakes around us, and well, it's got to be bigger than the Great Lakes. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles across, and about 13 miles from north to south is all it is. It's, that's about as big as it is. And, and the Sea of Galilee is full of fishing and, and water sports today. It's thriving today, the Sea of Galilee is. And there, there's a key to the key of Salivy, Sea of Galilee is two things. 
One, there's rivers that are coming into it. There's rivers and tributaries that are feeding into the Sea of Galilee. One is some of the snow is melting at the top of the mountain in Mount Hermon, and it comes down and it just fills this city with, I mean, just fills the Sea of Galilee with all kinds of fresh water. It's feeding into this city, and that's one of the things that's happening to it, just constantly being fed with all those springs and all the water coming into it. Another thing that's happening in the Sea of Galilee is the water that's being let out on the bottom of it. It comes out at the bottom the streams that are coming out of it, out of the Sea of Galilee. And one of those streams is the Jordan River. It's the biggest body. And this is the Jordan River that comes all the way down here, the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River, as you can see it, it's about 65 miles long, but the Jordan River really drops in elevation by the time it gets down to here. If you could stretch out the Jordan River, it'd be about 120 miles long. And the Jordan River during the spring, it's at flood stage. We read about that in Joshua chapter 3, where God parted it, opened up the Jordan River so they could walk across on dry ground. The next body of water I want to share you is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is right here. The Dead Sea is one of the lowest spots in all of the world today, on earth. The oceans right now is about 5% salt. The Dead Sea is 29% salt. It's even a different kind of salt. You, you've seen pictures, oh, you've probably seen pictures, where people kind of lean back in the Dead Sea and you can't see, you can't see in the Dead Sea. You don't want to get in your eyes or your ears, they said it can do some damage. You say, what good is the Dead Sea? Well, the mineral content of the Dead Sea, people have estimated to be in the trillions of dollars today. Trillions of dollars of minerals and resources in the Dead Sea, but it's so expensive to get that stuff out of there. They said it's too expensive to get it out of there, to extract it. The Dead Sea is almost worthless. Do you realize it? It's almost worthless because it's a reservoir. It's not a river. It's a reservoir. It's always collecting stuff. It collects water all the time. And there's no way for that water to get out except through evaporation. So it's collecting all these deposits and all these minerals and all these resources. And it's just bloated with them. Continually gets bloated with more and more resources, more and more minerals. But it never has an opportunity to give it out. It's just bloated with it. Let me challenge you at crossroads. Let's be a river. Let's not be a reservoir. Let's be more like the Sea of Galilee, where, the, where some of those rivers are coming into it, but it has a way to get rid of it out. And, and so it's thriving, the Sea of Galilee. Let's be like that as we have been gifted by God and God has given us gifts, and we've grown the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God's Word, and we take it in, but we give it out to people and bless people with it. We give it out for the benefit of others, to build up the body of Christ, to glorify God. Let's be like, like the Sea of Galilee. Let's not be like the Dead Sea where it just collects in all kinds of minerals and resources. It becomes bloated. Let's not be people who take in God's Word and take the gifts that He has to give us and just use it for ourselves. We become so bloated, never being able to give it out. But let's give it out. And I kind of give you that analogy to think of yourself, be like the Sea of Galilee. Let's give it out. Let's be thriving. Let's be the people God wants us to be, that we take in, but we also give it out to others, to benefit others. You ready to close with the doxology at the end of uh, Peter here, verse 11? Let me read it to you. He says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen is just a way to say, I agree. So be with it. So to be, let it be so. I want us to say this together this morning. I want to close with that verse. We'll all say it together. We'll read it from here. But as we say amen, hopefully in your heart and your mind, through this passage that we read today, you said, let it be so. Amen. I agree with you, God. Let it be so. So let's read it together here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, the end of verse 11. And so let's start. Ready? To him be the glory and the power 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen, right? We all agree. Let's pray. Lord, you come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because you're always, always good. You're always good to us. That, Lord, you, you've gifted us with salvation by your grace, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, and you've, you've gifted us through that. But, Lord, more than that, you've gifted us by giving us spiritual gifts, by blessings, by your grace. That, Lord, each one of us here that knows Jesus Christ as our Savior has been gifted by you. And, Lord, you've gifted us so that we might be beneficial to the body of Christ. So we might have a role in the body. So each one of us can say, God, I've got a place in the body of Christ. I got a place in the church to serve. I got a place to use that gift that you want me to use that so I can bless someone else. Maybe the children, maybe the teens, that I can be used for God's glory. And so Lord, I pray that each one of us might identify that gift as we start just checking our own hearts and say, God, what do I really enjoy doing? What, do you, what have you really placed in my heart that you've given me the abilities to do that I might use that for your glory? And Lord, we might develop that gift and polish it so, Lord, we might be able to use it to the, to the best of our ability. So, Lord, I pray for each person here that we take that step forward. And, and so we're going to identify the gift, but not just identify it, that with the Lord, we put it into practice. That we'd use it to bless the church here at Crossroads. That we can be all that, God, you want us to be so we can have our ministries up and flowing and at full scale with, with all that we need, all the volunteers that we need. So, Lord, I pray for a blessing upon us. And as, Lord, as we use our gifts, Lord, bless us. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help, Lord, as we use our gifts, Lord, we start making friends and fellowship with others, Lord. We get to know others, and, and Lord, we start rubbing each, each other, Lord, of our gifts, and Lord, it just sharpens us like iron, just makes us better for you, better for your use. Lord, help us to become the people you want us to be. Help us to not be like the Dead Sea, bloated, just taking in all the resources, taking all the knowledge in, all the gifts in, and just hold them on. But let us be like the Sea of Galilee, where we're giving it out freely to all. Help us to be a blessing to others, to benefit to others. That's why you gave them. So use us, Lord. Use us for your glory, Lord, because God, you're an amazing and good God. In all your ways, you are so good. And we come here today, Lord, to glorify you. And Lord, help us and motivate us to take a step out of our comfort zone, to serve you, to grow in you. Because as we serve, Lord, we grow spiritually. As we serve, Lord, we build up the body of Christ. We accomplish so many things in our life. As we serve, we become more like Jesus. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be more like you. Glorify yourself through our lives, Lord. Glorify yourself through, our, through the lives we live and the service we do for you. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Lord, I also pray for anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning. If there's someone here today, help them to realize, God, that you're a good God that you sent your son Jesus Christ into the world who died on the cross for their sins. And if anyone would put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, they find forgiveness of sins no matter what they've done. And they find eternal life and they become a child of yours. And now their hope of eternity is in Jesus. And he promises that he's gonna build a home for them in heaven. They will be with him in heaven for all of eternity. So Lord, I pray for anybody that does not know Jesus Christ as their savior today, Help them, Lord. Convict them of their sin and their need of Jesus. They might put their faith and trust in him. Lord, let all of us lift our hearts and minds to you and to worship you and just sing with our hearts just how good of a God you truly are and how you've truly blessed us. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.